0: Welcome. You're listening to the podcast, Outlander Soul, searching for the soul of Outlander with me, Dr. Jamie Reeves.
1: And me, Reverend Terry Menafie-Gow.
0: Well, this is the
1: first episode, hey? Hey, yeah. We've (laughs) been wanting to do this for how long now,
0: Jamie? A couple years, I think. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, It's been a couple of years you and I've been having conversations, uh, theological conversations, as well as emotional conversations and other just conversations. Just fangirl conversations. Exactly, about <laughs> um, about Outlander and what we love about it and how it affects our lives as well as how our faith life is kind of interwoven in that.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just, I think it's become such an important story for the both of us and In fandom, we've noticed as well that, of course, it's an important story for a lot of a lot of other people, too. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I I think this is going to be really interesting. What we were trying to, you know, move towards is kind of writing
1: some kind of theological treatise on Outlander (laughs) (laughs) and then the series. And after a couple of years, uh, we ended up with this podcast that kind of was a brainchild of a visit from a visit that you had this past November. So I guess we should probably yeah. make it clear where we're from and 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 kind of where we where where we're coming from. But but first, let's talk about what is Outlander Soul and what why we this call it and that. Why yes. are we
0: calling it that? And then you yeah, know, we can introduce ourselves. So
1: yeah, so why the name Terry? Oh, well, um, we are trying to reach the soul of Outlander. A lot of times we, as a society, have linked the idea of our soul to that which is faithful, that which is otherworldly, that kind of intangible piece of us that seems to be spiritual. Hmm. And so I think one of the things that we're trying to reach with Outlander is the soul of Outlander. What about you?
0: Hmm. Uh, i think that's the same yeah and when we say outlander we're obviously i mean we're talking about the text primarily within this um within this podcast but uh also when we say outlander we also mean the fandom of kind of how people ha- are interacting with the series and then the tv series as well as it as it applies to the conversations that we're gonna have but yeah I'm looking for the Religion and spirituality and theology that's in the series and and seeing what we can come up with.
1: Yeah, and I don't think
0: anybody is really doing
1: this level of podcast for this.
0: There's a few that are doing sort of textual analysis um, work, but through some sort of lens or a particular theme. That's not really happening as far as we're aware. Now, obviously, if you're listening to this and you are doing this and, and we're showing our ignorance, then by all means, let us know.
1: And we um, would love to
0: join you and we would yeah. love for you to join us. So what we're hoping to
1: accomplish, since, you know, kind of the basis of why Outlander Soul exists and why we call this Outlander Soul, is that, well, you know, since a couple of months ago, we've lost our ability to watch Outlander <laughs> on Stars Network. <laughs>
0: so we are now now drought lander
1: and so we need an outlander fix we need an opportunity to get together with the outlander fan community the fan community that is is out there and they don't know they're part of the community (laughs) and that they need us and we need them we kind of want this fix uh and and this opportunity to kind of engage other people in a story that has just meant so much to us and has meant so much to our lives and to our relationships. And I think
0: the primary thing is about it's about conversation, that we um, we don't have any fixed this is the answer, but we have a lot of questions um, and a lot of things that, ha- that, that the series has brought up for us in the sense of what does this mean for us or, you know, what what exactly can we take from this? You're listening to Terry and I have a conversation about this series and we want to hear from you as to the things that matter for you as well. The other point probably to make is, there will be spoilers. So yes. we're talking about yes. the series, um, the book series in its entirety as it stands currently. So from Outlander, the first book to Moby, or Art written in uh, my heart's own blood. And so if you have not read the whole series and you don't want to know what happens, while, you know, we're not going to tell you the whole plot, we will be referring to things in the in the later books um, yes. as yes. well. So just know that.
1: I, I think the assumption here is that, um, is that if you're tuning into this, then you are really, really into Outlander. Mm-hmm. And if you're only on the second or third book, we, we would love to have you as a listener. But just know that you're probably going to hear things that are happening all the way to the eighth book. Yeah. Because there is an arc in the story. And while Diana Gabaldon is, is supposed to be currently <laughs> writing, writing two other uh, final uh, novels in the series... Mm-hmm. Then we're we're just we're waiting for her to do that. This will also include our conversations, not just the the books, the one through eight. It will yeah. probably also in, include some of the novellas that that and Diana some of the Gabaldon. side stories, yeah, some the, of the, side the John stories. Gray
0: books and uh, Scottish prisoner and some of yeah. the other stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: because I think that they they kind of help fill out a story of Jamie mm-hmm. prior to meeting Claire, mm-hmm. um, of where John Gray is coming from, of mm. the fa- Rogers family. Uh, things that we really didn't quite understand. Master Raymond those books, if again, if you haven't read them, we highly encourage you to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but we will be talking about them, so just yeah. be aware. Um, right. But, uh, you know, we could spend an entire episode on whether or not this series can be spoiled because it's good whether you've read it the first time or you've read it the 50th, 50th time. Exactly. Uh, so spoiling, in some ways, I think is a bit of a misnomer. Yeah. But at the same time, if you don't know want to know what happens and you have not yet found out yourself, then just know that we will be talking about it. Yeah, and I think the other thing too, as far as going back to that this is a conversation, it's also around... Just wanting to engage our listeners, fellow Outlander fans, in practice of kind of spiritual or theological reflection on the text and don't let that scare you. So we'll explain what we mean as we go through. Um, and we'll talk more about why we've chosen Outlander for this as well a bit later in this episode. And
1: and, and we yeah. want this to be a really inclusive conversation. Absolutely. so And um...
0: accessible. So we're not going to be using all kinds of yeah really serious language and if we do we'll explain what we mean again we want to include lots of different traditions
1: lots of different faith traditions so if you're spiritual but not religious this is for
0: you as well so this when we say theology and religion and spirituality we we mean that as inclusively as possible so who are you terry who am i why in the world are you involved in this podcast?
1: So what you guys probably don't know if you're listening is that uh, Terry, that's me, is in the United States, uh, living in Richmond, Virginia. Jamie Yay,
0: Richmond. is not. No. I <laughs> Jamie, where am... are you? I would say I'm from Richmond, um, but I grew up in the American South. But uh, these days, I live by the sea in Dorset, England, and so occasionally you might hear uh, seagulls. And then I live with my partner and two dogs, so you might also hear my dog snoring in the background as we go along.
1: (laughs) We also live in a neighborhood here in Richmond uh, where there's lots of children, so you might hear children playing outside or... The occasional mm-hmm. leaf blower so you're yep. actually hearing Jamie and I across the Atlantic <laughs> talk to each other with our tea <laughs> or whiskey depending on the time of day so I was raised in a Christian tradition generally the Baptist tradition the Southern Baptist tradition here in the American South mm-hmm. and through that tradition I ended up hearing a call to ministry And I ended up at seminary over at Union Presbyterian Seminary, where I received my Master's of Christian Education and my Master's of Divinity degree. And I was ordained in the Baptist Church here in Richmond, but not to the pastorate. I never, ever wanted Mm -hmm. to be a pastor. Um, What I wanted to do was to explore story. So my focus in seminary was uh, story theology and film theology. Hmm. And part of the reason is because I'm an actor. Oh. Yes, I'm an actor. Ooh.
0: As if I didn't know that.
1: <laughs> and a writer. So um, you can find me on IMDb. You can find uh, some of the screenplays that I've written on Blacklist.
0: And y'all, I read one of them. Uh, uh, yeah, it. she's really good. Uh, <laughs> so you should definitely look them up. <laughs>
1: um, I appreciate that. Uh, surprisingly, I write a lot of romance. <laughs> so... That's kind of how I think. So I'm very much involved in the art world, in particular, performing arts, as well as literary arts uh, here in Richmond. And what engages me about Outlander is, I think, the depth and breadth of the story. The idea that this woman, Claire, is a really, really strong female character. And at the same time, she's still very feminine. Mm. And, And she doesn't shy away from her big brain. No, not at all. She has no apology for that whatsoever. Exactly. And I think that was probably the first thing that kind of engaged me, that she was able to be vulnerable and brainy and strong
0: mm-hmm. and still f-
1: allow herself to fall in love with someone and say, hey, I've made a mistake over here with Frank. So I, I think that kind of engaged me. That and the the love story, the the constant falling in love that they do. Yeah, it grows deeper and deeper and deeper.
0: Mm. And it doesn't just end when they get married. Yeah, like and they lived happily ever after. Yeah, no, no, we know their their life. (laughs) Yeah, it also doesn't
1: end when they're separated, even when they have to, and end up with other relationships their primary relationship is still with each other. So how about you, Jamie? Tell us a little bit yeah. about you. Yeah,
0: so my background in some ways is quite similar. So I grew up in sort of conservative Christian culture in the American South. But um, I went on to study theology and peace and conflict. And I lived and worked in Bosnia and Northern Ireland for a number of years. And now I'm you know, living here in England. Like you, I went to seminary. I also didn't feel called to into the pastorate. I felt called into teaching and doing theology work. And so I did my PhD in theology at Trinity College in Dublin, in Ireland. My professional title is public theology or a public theologian. And so it's basically doing theology uh, for the public or around public issues. So I'm not interested in doing theology just for the church, but for everybody. Which is one of the great things about this particular podcast
1: and yeah. this particular exploration is the Absolutely. idea that we get to do this kind of theology yeah. with, with a huge group of people.
0: Yeah, I think there's lots to be said and and lots lots of things to do that pertain or that are relevant to a really wide variety of people um, in order to make the world a better place. So public theologian, you can find me. My website is Jamie Reeves, J-A-Y-M-E-R-E-A-V-E-S dot com or on social media, uh, Facebook and Twitter, that kind of thing. As far as why I'm interested in Outlander or how I got into this. Um so you and I found out about it separately and then we as yeah. friends had come together and go, Oh my gosh, did you yeah. listen to this? you know, that kind yeah. of thing. Or did you watch this? So I, I have to confess that so I grew up, you know, conservative Christian and I've been much more evangelistic about Outlander than I ever was about Jesus, um, with over twenty converts to my name, uh, notches in my belt. Um, that is that. a quantifiable fact. <laughs> um, and so I think that I think that's hilarious, but I also think that there's something to that. I love how rich the story is. I love the interior life that we see in the characters and how they develop. Yeah. Jamie and Claire are obvious, but we, Ian, I think about a lot and how he changes over the course of the series, the way Roger changes, both of those, just even thinking about them almost moved me to tears because they're just, it's just so lovely how they're done. Um, And just that interior life that you see change for them, I think is really beautiful and how they develop and what they believe and how they see the world, all that kind of stuff in talking to one of my converts a friend of mine (laughs) about the the series she was saying rarely if ever have I had the company of fictional characters unfold in the background or as wallpaper of my life and over such a long period of time yes and I think that's I think that's rare even you know other stories you know like Lord of the Rings that kind of stuff the books are long but they're not that long and so unless you read them on a yearly basis which I used to do I, there's they're not the wallpaper of your life kind of they just haven't taken the amount of time that this series has taken for some people.
1: I, I, I think part of that too is that you know when I read Outlander I kind of the, the way she writes like you said with the mm. internal the, the, mm. the, the internal life is that I almost take in I, I identify with the characters mm-hmm. really really well and it, it do doesn't ha, it doesn't have to be just Claire or Brianna because of the gender sameness there I, I think for me it's it's I, like I end up identifying with Lord John Grey
0: yeah absolutely. and I have and
1: I have such a crush on him <laughs> <laughs> such I a think crush that's fairly easy I, to do I honest. know he's such a dear I end up thinking about these characters when. I'm cooking dinner, or when yeah. you know, it's, and and you know, wondering what they're doing, mm. you know, and wondering what what the next phase of their life. Since I started reading these, what two three years ago, I cannot imagine mm-hmm. having first read these in 1991.
0: Yeah, when she first came out, I uh, yes. know a couple people who did. I do I, too. Yeah, I, it's just amazing to me that yeah, talk about the wallpaper of your life. I yes. I think that's even <laughs> even longer. Um, Goodness, yeah, and the wait. We're finding it difficult waiting for the next one. I yes, can't imagine are. what it have been like waiting for all eight. So what this conversation's about, obviously outlander right Yay, um, outlander. And, we, <laughs> and we've said primarily it's the books we want to take on the full canon of the story as it currently stands so canon meaning the body the full body of literature that exists so that includes um, the eight the eight novels absolutely. of
1: outlander including the side novels the yeah. side stories the back
0: stories the forward yeah. stories all it's the stories all part of the, the outlander yes. universe and so we do want to talk about that but when applicable we'll talk about the tv series too yes um, the main reason is because the tv series isn't finished as well as the books aren't finished either but at least the books are further along and the universe is bigger because of the books
1: well um, and, and and two, the television series because of a, a different view on it and, a, and mm-hmm. a different person in charge of it and Absolutely. the fact that you've only got an hour you need to tell these in maybe yeah. 10 to 13 one hour segments yeah. um it, it changes the story a little bit
0: it does. Uh, yeah. Some of the,
1: some of the richness goes away, but some of the visual richness is enhanced,
0: and yes, so absolutely.
1: bringing that into the canon is is vital.
0: So particularly where the TV series expands or contracts points that are made in the books yeah. um, that we think are relevant to the discussion, then we'll talk about that. Obviously, it's not we're not going to be purist here because we I can speak for the both of us, Terry. We think the TV series is fantastic. We love it. Such a wonderful <laughs> job with the adaptation. We're both really yes, pleased yes. with it. Eh. You know, little bits and pieces here and there that we think could have been different, but you know, on the whole, we're we're fans. Yes, huge um, fans. So so yeah, we will refer to the TV series, but this is primarily about the books.
1: And there are a lot of conversations about Outlander out there, whether it's the television series or mm. the books. And we we've kind of alluded to the fact that there are blogs, there are there's fan pages, there's there's all kinds of things that are rich and out there for you. But we are looking specifically through the lens of the religious the theological, the spiritual, um, that's in the books and in the television show. So, you know, what, what is this saying about our faith? What is this saying about each other? What is this saying about how we treat the community? Mm-hmm. What is this, how does this saying about... change
0: how we operate in the world?
1: Right. And, and it's important mm-hmm. to note that God, as a character, does not actually show up. Mm -hmm. in the story. We don't actually get a God character, and and some people would say, well, maybe God is inferred, possibly, depending upon your interpretation of Mm -hmm. the story. But this is our kind of interpretation of how Diana Gabaldon has written this story to pertain to faith in Mm -hmm. all of its forms, and Mm -hmm. how she's included religious theological and spiritual pieces in the story
0: and so maybe you're asking to you know why why these why religious theological and spiritual as opposed to something else and i and i think it's important well i've done some work around reading fiction as sacred text and so we're interested in in theology and religion for good. So for social change that Absolutely. makes the world a more inclusive, a more just, and yes. a healthier place for everyone, right? Right. To do that, both theology and religion have to be open to cultural phenomenon and shifts that are happening. And so it has to be relevant to people's lives, right? These conversations that people are having, the, the passion with which people talk about Outlander is something that I think is worth paying attention to. Yeah. Right, so we know that culture's power to shape things for good or for ill is enormous. Feminist, author, general, just amazing person, uh, Caitlin Moran, if you've ever heard of her, she was on the Nerdette podcast, so shout out to the Nerdette ladies, <laughs> whoop, whoop. Um, Yep, yeah, she was back on uh, their show back in July 2015, and said something that I think is really interesting about the power of culture to change the world, so here's the clip. <laughs> culture is always there. And I love, I love the idea that, you know, we need politics and we need legislation. They're already useful, but culture works so much faster and it's so much more inclusive. You know, this is, this is why, sort of, you, know, you know, campaigning and talking about social change in culture is the best way because if someone's just talking to you about it as, as politics, they'll be kind of like, they'll knock on your door and be like, we're going to talk about something worthy. And depending on how guilty you feel that day, you go, okay, I will listen mm, to yes, the worthy boy. thing and it will be a duty. <laughs> Whereas when you find a book or a TV show that you love that's dealing with these issues, you're grabbing them by the pells and you've got to watch this. Oh my God. And It's all being spread through love and energy and velocity. You know, it's kinetic. You know, this is the stuff that I'm interested in doing. Like, you know, George Orwell and Charles Dickens started off as polemic journalists, but they moved into fiction really fast because they learned that that's how you get your messages across. And it spreads with velocity and joy and energy.
1: So I I think the thing is that people are reading these. And these are people who are sitting in pews, sitting in uh, synagogues, going about their lives, taking yoga classes and and Mm -hmm. experiencing their spirituality and if they're experiencing their lives in the in a spiritual way and they're reading these books as the wallpaper of their lives and they're very integral it's vital to have the spiritual in conversation with the story that you tell yourself mm-hmm. one of the one of my favorite authors on this is John Dominic Crossan and he wrote this wonderful book that I used in my narrative theology when I was studying called The Dark Interval and it has mm-hmm. to do with theology of story as uh, mythology and theology of story as parable. The quote in one of his books is, we live in story like fish in the sea. Hmm. Yeah.
0: That,
1: that we think through story. Breathe
0: it. Yeah. yeah, Absolutely. There's no separating story from the human experience.
1: And even that is a story to say like a fish in the sea. Mm-hmm. So, so we use metaphor and story interchangeably. We use them in our lives and this is how we explain our lives. It's how we understand relationship. And so, it's also how we understand our spiritual life. Most religions have got sacred story mm-hmm. as the basis of their faith. And so, as cultures change, the story changes. Levi Strauss is going to, you know, in, with his cultural anthropology, explain how myth changes depending upon the culture and the space and the, and the time and, and, and which community it's going to live in. But essentially, it's going to operate in the same way as Mm -hmm. helping folks understand and navigate the world they live in. So this is one of the reasons why we want to have this conversation with Outlander, because this story has been that to us. Yeah, absolutely. And and we are people of faith, and it's impacted our faith life, our relationship, the way we look at the world. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the reasons that we wanted to to do this and to engage in this conversation
0: going back to the Caitlin Moran thing too she talks about the joy and the devotion and the love and just to say I love this is almost a is a subversive act she says later in that podcast and I think to come to a position to say as theologians we love this story and we want to figure out what that means we know this story has power and so we want to give it some attention and just see where it goes
1: absolutely absolutely mm-hmm. Just so you know, even though Jamie and I come from a conservative Christian background, we are, we are no, we no are longer, cons- longer conservative.
0: Let's be clear about that.
1: I consider myself Christian, but I am definitely not conservative. Um, we're, we're both feminist theologians. Uh, we are both narrative theologians. And we are not here to convert anybody to our tradition. We are not here to. Con- this is not our witness. We're not. We are not going to do that. But what we're trying to do is engage folks in conversation to a expand the understanding of religion and faith. Hmm. That I, I think, at least for me, in reading these books, it has expanded my understanding of tradition of the Christian tradition as well as other. Um, spiritual traditions, including the Native American traditions and the Celtic pagan traditions.
0: And I also think too, that the fa- the fans are wide ranging in, in belief as well. And we think that's a beautiful thing. So Absolutely. We, our our point is not to funnel everybody into some sort of lowest common denominator. We really want to be a welcoming and inclusive space where we can reflect on the story and the text in really meaningful ways. But also to hear from listeners who are from different traditions and the way in which they hear the story that will be different from us. We want to know what resonates for you or what doesn't. That This is an opportunity for respect and for mm. and engaging
1: each other and appreciative of everybody's different tradition.
0: So why Outlander as opposed to some other story? We think that Outlander lends itself to, well, is a rich field <laughs> for <laughs> theological <laughs> examination. Yes. Um... We've got a whole list of themes and topics that we talked about putting together when we were thinking about doing a book, which we still might do later on, but we, we thought we needed to test our ideas out first. And we think Outlander challenges us to look at some of these themes, including, obviously, being an outlander, um, being right. an outsider, and the concept of home. Uh, so biblical traditions around exile and what it ne- means to be someone who's marginalized and on the outside. A central theme in the entire series is: are these people who don't fit in. Um, and what exactly does that mean? And what community
1: means if if you all don't fit? What, what kind yeah. of community are you creating? And how do you do that? Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you create a community that allows for the stranger, the exile, and keep mm. the community, A, safe, and mm. B,
0: strong. Absolutely. Themes, obviously, around violence and trauma, which is, you know, I, that is definitely in the, yeah. in the series. And yeah. how do you deal with that? So questions, are, the theological term for that is theodicy of, of why does God allow or does God allow these things to happen? So I think the series is really good about Asking those questions, but not coming up with any easy answers. Other ones that we're talking about are things like justice and forgiveness,
1: which kind of moves along the same line as theodicy and violence and trauma, but it deals a little more internally with how we seek um, restitution, how we seek Mm -hmm. reconciliation Mm -hmm. and how Jamie or Claire become Mm -hmm. or Frank or Roger
0: (laughs) or Roger, (laughs) or Brianna
1: become reconciled to the things that have happened to them and the things they do to other
0: people. Yeah, absolutely. something that has been talked about a lot of throughout the, especially with the emergence of the TV series, but is around sexuality and feminism. There's been a lot of talk around the feminist gaze and whether or not, you know, this is for women. Um, But how sexuality has been written about in this series has been um, pretty, pretty revolutionary. Yeah. So. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And
1: and there have been lots of articles written abo- about that which we will be mm. referring to, but mm. also the beyond the sexuality of it and the the idea that Claire and and Jamie claim their sexuality even against uh, certain odds the the feminism that is kind of throughout the questions of uh, gender the questions mm. of what what Claire gets into in a, in the 18th century that she's <laughs> that she's not used to having uh, mm. in the 20th century,
0: and the certain freedoms that she has in the 18th yes. century that she doesn't have later, um, I think is fascinating. Yes,
1: predestination. <laughs> so this is this is the, this is the one I'm excited about. Yeah. Having been a conservative baptist that entered a presbyterian seminary the idea of predestination versus free will in the tome of uh time travel Mm. uh that the fact that time travel isn't real that we know of just yet some of you might argue with me on that one physics says it might be possible but i i'm still in the place where i don't see people jumping back and forth between time and so in the tome of time travel, you know, the the idea, there are, there are several different ways to look at where God is in time. And so mm-hmm. we'll be talking about whether or not things were predestined. Was Culloden predestined? And by predestined,
0: we mean fate. Yes, uh, yes. Like so, the, it was, it, it was yes. just
1: meant to be. It's determinism is yeah. the actual, is is, is mm-hmm. kind of the word. Fate is another Another way of saying it. it's probably the easiest way of saying it. Predestination is an actual theological concept come up come up by uh, by John Calvin, and we'll get into that later. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> because if I got into that now, I probably wouldn't stop. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, how much control do we have over what happens to us? Is um, there free will? How much of it is fated yeah. or how much of it is choice? Yeah. Um, and that's throughout the series, too. Plus, I mean, within the series, there's just loads of biblical references. Yes. If you know to look for them, uh, Diana has, has just chalked. Throughout the series, um, so that's something that excites us as we see it.
1: Well, and she comes from the Catholic tradition,
0: correct? She does. Yeah, she is a practicing Catholic and yet has two PhDs in science and has integrated the both, and and that's fascinating as well. I, yeah, love um, that. And rich and beautiful. So yeah, another just from my own sort of peace and conflict hat that. whole issue around conflict, sectarianism, encountering people of other faiths. What does that look like? So the whole Catholic versus Protestant stuff that we see in the series, Celtic spirituality and paganism is there as well. We already mentioned the Native American religions, but even Jamie's encounter with Judaism and Islam through characters like Hugh Monroe and Lawrence Stern and the Rothschild coin collector uh, or coin dealer. there's, There's loads of... Encounters and possibilities for conflict, and then of course real conflict through the um, through the military and war um, stuff that happens. That there there are theological things that we can think about in that as well,
1: which is which is really kind of cool considering the time frame that we're talking. I mean, so this is the Enlightenment, and you know they've they've just had this horrifying war in Europe over sectarianism, and uh, and so the idea is that. The, the, there's, there's a tension of really trying to not get to that place yeah. <laughs> ever again, yeah. and yeah. yet Clauden happens because they got to that place again. So yeah. you know, I, I love, I love the, the, the religious conflict that, that shouldn't have boiled over, did. Yeah. The other one is uh, the last one that we'll, we'll probably be exploring, and that actually will be the first one we explore in our next podcast, is the idea of romance as theology. The theology of romance and how we find God in relationships, how we find the divine in relationships, mm-hmm. and how we experience the divine through our relationships. So I, I, I think that that will be the first one to kind of lay the groundwork of why we've chosen to go with a romance to, to explore theology and spirituality.
0: We want to be clear. Smart girls read romance too. <laughs> yes, and we <laughs> so, <you> love it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, let's uh, let's take it seriously and yeah. say, hey, you know, let's let's actually think about what this means for absolutely. us. absolutely. So, so um, our methodology, uh, you know, as so academics, we need to lay out how exactly we're going to do this. Kind of, what are our parameters? So, um, the first one is that. We believe that Outlander is generative. And by generative, we mean that it generates thoughts, ideas, emotions, and action. Hot flashes. And it keeps. <laughs> <laughs> hot flashes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Desire, maybe. But. Um, <laughs> And it keeps on giving as we see something every time we read it. Um, and so it, it's constantly generating new thoughts, new ideas, new emotions and actions for us. And we believe that Outlander as a text has a gift to give us and if we read it with rigor and in community with other fans there's a treasure to be mined there a shout out to another podcast that you guys may be listening to some of you might know harry potter and the sacred text that's made this approach popular while we're not going to be reading outlander as a sacred text in the same way they do so they do spiritual practices around lectio divina and Mm -hmm. a few other things we're not approaching it in the same way but we know that it's sacred to a lot of people, and so we the way in which we're doing that is by taking this text seriously and and analyzing it and thinking about the impact that it has on spiritual, religious, theological development.
1: And we know that literature actually makes a difference in people's lives. Stories make a difference. It, it's the it's the sea we swim in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's 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 how we we live and breathe um, stories. And many of those stories are in our literature. Academics spend lives poring over the texts of Charles Dickens, of Jane Austen, of of William Shakespeare, and they, they, they dissect them, they reinterpret them, they imagine their, reimagine their meaning. We do this with the sacred text of uh, of Scripture, um, whether or not it's the Tanakh, whether or not it's the um, New Testament, we do this as well. And the difference is that we, we stop short. We, we might dissect and say, well, you know this uh this is the the breakdown of the story and this is how the story builds and here's where the denouement comes where it comes in differently over here
0: in secular stories, you in mean? In secular they, they, they stories. stop short. Yeah. Well, I mean, even in scriptural stories. Well, that's true.
1: Because, um, mm-hmm. I mean, they there's a huge group out there that examines the Gospels as narrative. Mm-hmm. And, and and for them, that is narrative theology. But what we're mm-hmm. talking about here is a narrative theology for stories outside of that canon. Stories that are um, that are literature. Stories that actually influence our lives outside of our scripture. -hmm. And what what happens when the academics who are studying these things they stop short with what does this mean to me? Mm -hmm. How has this personally? Yes, how has this personally affected my life and what I'm doing? And so, how is this text asking us to live? What can we learn from Mm -hmm. this? So we we know literature has tremendous power to influence. Movies do the same. Mm -hmm. Stories in general do. So we we're wanting to talk about. Why we don't talk about that? <laughs> why we don't embrace fiction as a motivating force for spiritual, theological, and ethical development? Mm, why why it doesn't get us out of the pew and into the world, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Occasionally, you'll see books called, you know, like, The Gospel According To, and it's, you know, Star Wars, or Peanuts, or right. The Simpsons, right. or something like that. Or Joss Whedon. Yeah, or Joss Whedon, Yeah. We said to not be scared about uh, us using the term theology. Um, So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Literally, it means the study of God. It is as simple and as complex as that is. But um, Rosemary Radford Ruther uses the term God talk when she talks about theology. And it's it's what we believe about God, how we talk about God, how we perceive God, and how we think God operates in the world. Yeah, and when we're
1: talking about the, the concept of God... For yeah. for folks who might pull back at yeah. that at that particular yeah. word, Absolutely. what we mean is something very very broad. We mean a force bigger than us as as humans. We we know and appreciate that God is called a lot of different things, mm-hmm. and that calls this power um, this force. Um, this entity this other the divine something bigger and broader and so we we want that to be all-inclusive when we use the term god
0: yeah a friend of mine uses the term the bigness and oh, I, I love, love that that. <laughs> that, that, um, that that i think captures kind of what we're talking about here yeah but yeah. for shorthand we'll say god but hopefully you know what we mean by that. So yeah, so we've talked a little bit about, or we've mentioned a couple theological streams. So narrative theology and feminist theology. So Terry, do you want to talk about sure. what we mean by narrative theology and how this applies to where we're going with this?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so narrative theology, like I, I mentioned earlier, there are like two different strands of narrative theology. There's one that actually looks at the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament as a narrative. That it's a it's a collection of stories that maybe create a bigger story, and so they examine, say, the Gospel of Matthew as a story and look at elements of story. Where's the introduction? Why are we building conflict here? How? Are, so it, they're looking at it structurally. As narrative,
0: like as a narrative arc, like they're analyzing it as they would any other text, right? um, So, whether it's sacred or secular, yeah,
1: correct. So, so that's Mm -hmm. that is one branch of narrative theology. Another branch of narrative theology is the one that I kind of fell into because I fell in love with it, and that is looking at other texts as. Becoming mythic in our lives, as becoming the the stories we tell ourselves and the stories we ultimately become, yep. because we don't just immerse ourselves if we are a person of faith in our sacred readings, in in the canon that is. Uh, accepted by our community as the sacred text. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we don't immerse ourselves in the Veda or in the Tanakh or in the Talmud or in the, we don't just immerse ourselves in that. We also immerse ourselves in Harry Potter. We also immerse ourselves in Jason Bourne. We also immerse ourselves in the Star Wars sagas, the um, Matrix, the so many other things. Mm -hmm. And so... When we look at narrative theology, so many of us, almost all of us, are immersing ourselves in those things, and they, we are becoming those stories. Mm-hmm. So the idea is to put those stories in conversation with what we believe about ourselves, about each mm-hmm. other, and about God. Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of the, the bottom line of narrative theology, is being able to pluck a story out, whether it's on paper, or whether it's oral or whether it's in a movie or a television show TV series, yeah yeah, yeah and, and and really have that study of how mm.
0: this how this
1: interacts with our faith life
0: and it, and again it doesn't necessarily that well that methodology doesn't necessarily have to come from a place of faith there, so there's been right. humanist or um, or just atheist discussions around the morality of certain certain TV shows. So Breaking Bad, for example, you know, is it yes. or Game of Thrones? Um, yes, are, are yes, these yes, yes. Um, are these. Characters models for us. What are we learning by watching these these series in this particular way? And is it helpful or is it not or what could, you know that kind of stuff the other one that we talk about is feminist theology and So feminist and narrative theology both of those look outside of the traditional sacred texts like the Bible the Torah Torah or the Quran like um, Like Terry just said for further meaning so they use other stories but feminist theology does this too. They use other stories, fiction and poetry, documentary, nonfiction, that kind of stuff, and it you know film, TV as well. Believing that these sources often, well, they both challenge and shape the practice of religion in meaningful ways. Yep. So, feminist theology, and here's another one, um, liberation theology, and I I do both uh, within my work aims to bring attention to the experiences of, of those who've been marginalized, often by formal structures of religion. So that's usually women. That feminism would certainly fit in that. Yep. But yep. liberation would focus specifically on people of color, the poor, those who are on the outside, disabled, um religious um, sects that
1: are no longer um, yeah, acceptable absolutely. yeah yeah,
0: yeah. Com- just communities who've been ostracized or marginalized in particular ways that kind of stuff so both feminist and liberation theologies uh, are oriented toward giving those who are marginalized a voice and how do we construct theology that is useful helpful healthy just for them
1: in so many ways it, it helps validate their experience as human absolutely. as humans in this world navigating the world
0: insights as to what does it mean to be human and how to construct theologies that's that's good for everybody and not just for I am um, a chosen few. Yep. If that makes sense. Yep. And for many Outlander has meaning because of how it portrays gender, sexuality, romance, home, community, relationships, all those things we've already said. And we as theologians, both Terry and I, see deep Feminist, liberationist narrative perspectives that are that live and breathe in the text. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Strong women, subversion of traditional plot lines. We'll talk about that. Issues around power, justice, consent, um, mercy, forgiveness. Jamie isn't threatened by Claire's strengths. Uh, he never gives any sort of indication that he feels emasculated by this this strong woman. He seems to uh, really or, like
1: it, actually. Yeah, yeah he seems isn't that to be great. attracted to it.
0: Yeah, and not threatened by her femininity as well, which that's also an important thing, I think. The way in which power is negotiated, given, taken, both on individual and even national levels throughout mm-hmm. the series, I mm-hmm. think, is really important. And we mentioned the feminine gaze, but Claire's own pleasure and appreciation and satisfaction, all of that I think is really important for a feminist theological construct. And so let's, let's look at that. So ultimately we want theology to support life and we see a theology that supports life in Outlander.
1: Absolutely. So why are we doing this podcast instead of writing our brilliant, brilliant book? (laughs)
0: why are we
1: why are we Um, time maybe but um. (laughs) well and the fact that uh both jamie and i also have two other jobs or three other jobs
0: um this is
1: this is this is how it is in the 21st century when uh, when you're doing art and when you're doing ministry and when you're doing um the good work of peacemaking you end up doing uh and and piecing together your life and your career this way so Mm. why a podcast I think, so we, we came up with the construct of the book, but something was really, really missing. Yeah. Uh, something was really, really missing as we, you know, so we've written a couple of chapters in it, and we've outlined certain pieces of the primary text, which is the canon of mm-hmm. Outlander. Mm-hmm. And, and what was missing was you guys. Yeah, <laughs> What was absolutely. missing was all of you. You know, I, I wrote the thing on theology and romance, but it really was missing that, that connection to the greater Outlander community because... Yeah, this is my point of view, sure. But mm. because Outlander has changed me, I mm. do want to bring the community in on this kind of conversation mm. and bring the community in on what they how they have felt about Outlander and how they feel in general about romance theology. Is which this... is
0: a departure from how theology is done yes. normally and I, so I think we from a, you know again from a feminist perspective yes. um, we, we want to we want the theology to arise from experience Absolutely. and the only way you can do that is by collecting <laughs> the official academic terms is collecting data um, <laughs> but the only way to do that is to ask people and to say you know what was what has been your experience and then to let theology be constructed from that rather than me or Terry sitting at our desks and and theologizing that's the proper uh, verb (laughs) to um to sit here in in isolation that's not healthy theology Um, it needs to be tested and it needs to be something that's reflective of people's experience and not just
1: ours and and that's really the and that's really the foundation of things like liberation theology it comes Mm. from the ground Mm. up and so, Absolutely. so we are we are putting ourselves at at your mercy, saying that <laughs> saying that we are a part of you as the community. This is mm-hmm. the ground uh, swell upon which we want to build this theology and build this mm-hmm. book. And so, we're asking you to participate as well.
0: And we've yeah. got certain ways for you to do that. We will be gathering data um, <laughs> through survey questions at the end of each episode. So we're going to ask them here at the podcast um, uh, at the end of each episode. Each episode will have a page on our website, as well as on our social media feeds. We'll share the link and that kind of thing. So if you aren't able to respond to the survey or if you have more to say, if you have reflections, then feel free to drop us a line via the contact form on our website at um, www outlandersoul.com yep. um, as we're really keen to hear about how outlanders changed your life and your worldview and you can find us on facebook and twitter and tumblr as well outlandersoul here are some of the survey questions that you will see
1: after you finish this episode and go to outlandersoul.com mm-hmm. and then and then click on the story so it, it'll be a survey these are the questions that we'll be asking what stories have changed your life not just Outlander, but other stories too. We're, yeah.
0: we're interested to know what which ones those are. And it can be
1: changed your stories for good or for ill. Mm. So you, you need to... What stories, uh, whether they be movies, written narrative, television shows, how have they changed your life?
0: Second question that we want to ask for this episode is how did those stories change your life? Especially we're interested in how they might have changed your relationships or how you feel about God, the bigness, divine, however you want to say that. Or how you think about how the world operates. The last question is, what what comfort and challenge do you feel that Outlander has brought to you in your life? Right. All right. So I think that's, that's it for this episode. Yeah. Um, we could talk about this forever, so we need to wind things up.
1: Yes, yes, we do. And so next time when we chat, um, we're going to be talking about romance literature, why it is unfortunately not appreciated by the academia.
0: Or taken seriously by anyone, really, other than its fans.
1: And why Outlander is actually romance fiction, uh, because it could be so many other things. And I could get into that right now, but it won't, because we're going to do that next time.
0: Yeah, and why it matters. Yes. Why Why are we as theologians uh, saying, hey, romance matters?
1: That's it for this episode of Outlander Soul. Thanks for listening.
0: (laughs) We'd be most grateful if you'd review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: And we'd also love to hear your questions, thoughts, and ideas, too. Part of the work we're doing is gathering data on how fans interact with and value Outlander in their lives. So we're interested in what you have
0: to say. And we know Outlander fans have a lot to say.
1: So please respond to our survey questions found on our website related to this episode, or you can follow the links on Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr.
0: And you can also contact us via our website at www.outlandersoul.com. Thanks again, everyone, and we'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye!